Good morning. You know, as I was um, just uh, thinking just a moment ago, how family life kind of just surrounds us all the way through everything, doesn't it? It's all going on at the same time. You know, for us as a church family, we've had all these new babies. We rejoice with new babies. We've got all these new births in terms of people wanting to get baptised. They're born again already, but we've got these baptisms coming up. We've uh, even got a wedding on a Sunday in, in August, and we share the grief of a funeral for Jeanette just next, next week, or not this week, the Thursday afterwards. Everything happens at once, doesn't it? You know? Bible tells us to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. And despite what's going on in terms of the calendar, the facts of life always surround us. And uh, we need to remember our family. This thing is really wobbly. I don't... <clears throat> is that another fact of life? It's about to fall apart or something. What have you been doing to it, Jack? <laughs> oh, don't tell. We're not touch it. <laughs> Today is Pentecost. Let's read from Acts chapter 2, just a few verses to remind ourselves we're taking a time, a day out of our series between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We realised, finished the Old Testament bit last week and uh, we'll start the New Testament with a baptismal service next week and John the Baptist coming and uh, beginning the preaching of the Gospel Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now that there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came to... Ooh. <laughs> I'm sure someone must have taken mine. Yeah, I bet you took mine. <laughs> Where did we get to? <laughs> a crowd came t- together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? We need another Pentecost, is the subject that I've kind of, um, title that I've given it to, simply because we can sing that lovely hymn at the end of it, which I know Liz really loves. That's a joke, she doesn't. <laughs> but we're going to sing it anyway. <laughs> Last week, when we were looking at Haggai, I kind of told you that, you know, the, 
One of the things I made in the, the point in the sermon was that we don't live by comparing ourselves to other people. Now today I'm going to do the opposite of that and compare ourselves. But we're not comparing to our peers, we're not comparing to some other church down the road. We're comparing ourselves to the way God did it then. The way it was in the New Testament. And that's how we reflect on our lives, isn't it? We were asked to reflect as we were looking at our lives, even just before then on com- at communion. You know, and it's not kind of me, well, I'm, dear Lord, thank you that I'm better than Mike down there. No. <laughs> Jesus condemned that kind of thing, didn't he? Right? You know, dear Lord, we thank you we're better than that so-and-so church. No, we compare ourselves to Scripture. And as God speaks and reveals himself there, and we need to look ourselves at, at that. And that's what I want us to do this morning. The day of Pentecost was an amazing day. A day when the Holy Spirit was given. And the church of Jesus Christ was born, in a sense. And that church came into existence that day. <clears throat> wow, what a sight to behold it was. It was indeed a sight to behold. Let me just tell you, it was a church that was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a church that was on a mission to take the gospel into to the lost world. It was a church that was excited about Jesus, its Saviour. It was a church that was committed to holiness, committed to the obedience of God's Word, committed to worship. It was a church that was hated by the world around them, but was steadfast in the face of persecution. It was a church that was growing as God added to it daily. It was a church that enjoyed the manifest presence and power of God in its midst. The church described in the book of Acts was unlike anything the world has ever seen and likely will ever see again. Although that is the template, that is something we should look to be ourselves. The modern church... Us, the church of today, well, we're all familiar with it, but I actually believe we're quite a long way removed from what the church was back in the period of the Acts, don't you? You know, when you read the book of Acts, that was what the, that's the, the church as it should be, doing the things that God... Oh, they didn't get everything right, don't get me wrong. Uh, but... Uh, I want us to pick out a few things about the church of Acts and compare it to the church of today. If we go on to the next slide, you'll see a, a kind of a, a list I think I put us on. Are we there? Well, you'll catch up. The, the first one is the church in Acts was a church that was united. Acts tells us that they were of one accord and they were one in heart and soul. <coughs> They were being persecuted for their faith and many were losing their jobs. You know, fancy doing that. You lost your job because you became a Christian. You got turfed out of your house because you became a Christian. You were persecuted by other people. Many were in poverty, but the church rallied together. We're told there that they sold their, their goods to support one another. The church was stood for one another and with one another, not against each other. They presented a united front in a hostile world. The church was a committed body. They continued to meet daily, it says in Acts 2. They met daily. They were committed to their worship of the Saviour Jesus. And they came together 
to worship and honour him. Just get that in your mind. They didn't do church one day, one day a week. They came every day. Alright? Oh, I can't even get there once a month sometimes. Well, if we had the same passion as them, they came together every single day. That was commitment. They were committed in the face of persecution. In those first dozen chapters of Acts, you'll find out how Peter and John get arrested uh, and uh, for preaching, get beaten up. Stephen gets stoned. It was a church that was committed to what it was about. It was a church that was powerful. They enjoyed the power of God amongst the, among them. They saw people being saved. And witnessed miraculous conversions. There was 3,000 one day. A few weeks later there was 5,000. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. They saw God deal with hypocrisy right in front of their very eyes. They witnessed many miracles, many manifestations of the Holy Spirit's power. There was so much power in the church that it was said by others that they turned the world upside down. The church in Acts was militant. You know what I mean by militant? It was active. It was going places. It had vigour. They carried the gospel to everyone they met. Peter and John shared the, the gospel with a crippled guy and healed him and then had the opportunity of preaching to a crowd of thousands. They witnessed where they lived. And wherever they went, they sent missionaries out to take the gospel to the world. They literally fulfilled Acts 1 verse 8 when it says, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. They literally fulfilled that. Right there as you read the book of Acts. It started on that day. The world around them knew that something was different about these people. And so the church was feared. The world might have hated the church, but they also feared it. Fear fell on people because God's power was present. In Acts 5 we're told no one dared join. No one dared join them. In another place where the sense of God's presence was so real on, on, the, on those early apostles that immediately the Pharisees know these men have been with Jesus. It was so evident. They were, it was so real in front of them. The church was feared because of God's power. However, in our day, look at the list. How would you compare the church of our day? seems like a mere shadow of what it was then to me. The modern church lacks many of the characteristics that were around in that early church, which was a wonder to behold. The modern church is divided. The modern church is so fractured that little cooperation really happens on the things that matter. Denominations, doctrines, problems, whether they're real or perceived, all combined just to divide churches into isolated little groups that don't seem to want to accept each other. I find that sad. Churches divided. 
modern church seems to me to be uncommitted. And I'm not talking about commitment where, you know, you're told to be at everything. You know, how many grew up going to church three times on a Sunday? Yay, look at that. And you went to midweek meetings, and you went to prayer meetings, you went to the youth club. You know, you know I'm not talking about commitment being, being at everything, but a commitment to everything is a passion. Modern generation treats church as though it's sometimes, well, it's a bit expendable, isn't it? Eh? Hobby for the weekend. Commitment to church seems to be conditioned on people's personal schedules, second to pleasure and family outings. There's little commitment to the mission and the outreach of the church or the worship of the church or the needs of the church. You see, we want to talk a lot these days about the kingdom, but you don't have the kingdom without the church. You can't have kingdom without church. The church is the bride of Christ. You see, when we get to heaven, we are going to be Jesus' bride. And we are asked on earth to put into practice what we do then. Do you know what the biggest thing we're going to be doing, we should be doing now? Praying. <laughs> so that we operate as the people of God. The church seems uncommitted. The modern church to me seems as though it's more afflicted with consumerism and individualism and a take a believe it attitude. Church in the modern age seems powerless. Lost people don't come to church, and when they do, they don't really see much conviction there, do they? In many cases, the people in the pews are no different to the lost people of the world around them. Church members give little attention to prayer, little attention to daily worship and devotion, Little attention to personal holiness and moral integrity. We say we're people of the word, but we don't live by it. And as a result, we gather for our meetings, and they're often lifeless, powerless, lacking the presence and the power of God. The church today seems to do everything in its power to make itself attractive. Usually by lowering its standards, watering down its preaching, dumbing down the doctrine, changing the gospel into something that is more acceptable and more appealing to the world. The modern church isn't militant. We hold in our hands the precious, inspired word of God but we keep it to ourselves. It's been entrusted to us, this gospel message. The gospel that Paul would once say is the power of God to salvation. But we hold it to ourselves. We don't take it out to the world that needs to hear it. Instead of engaging people with the gospel, we tell them nothing. And we wonder why no one gets saved. Seems to be the vocal minorities in our society are winning in their efforts to push their own radical agendas that will change our society and the shape of that society for generations. While the Church of God sits on its 
collective backside and says nothing. Church isn't militant, is it? Church is being increasingly marginalised by society. No one cares what we think. We've drunk so deeply of political correctness, we're afraid to take a stand for truth in case we offend someone. Modern church isn't feared. The world mocks us. Mocks our Bible. It mocks our worship. Mocks our God. You turn on the television or you watch a film and it portrays a Christian. What are they pictured as? Some kind of wet fish vicar? Some kind of simple-minded lunatic? Maybe a a child molester or a psycho of some sort? they, They mock it. They mock us. They laugh at our powerlessness and believe actually that we're all hypocrites. Maybe they're not so far off. The world doesn't fear us because it has no reason to. Now before we pat ourselves on the back at Weymouth Baptist Church and kind of think, we're not that bad, are we? <laughs> I mean, we, we are, you know, <clears throat> we're not really going you know, to you know, be like that and condemn ourselves. You know, I think we're better than we are or worse than we really are. I want us just to be real. When I say the modern church, I'm talking about the church of this age. Yeah, you'll find some that are alive. But if we are going to impact our generation, and by our generation, I'm talking about now, not just our generation, but our children's generation. (coughs) Every generation. Our generation is every generation is represented in this church. If we're going to impact them, we will only do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. His touch must be in our services. His touch must be in the things that we do, the activities we, we have, His every ministry. If we are just going through the motions, because we've always done it, we've always had that children's ministry, we've always had that outreach ministry, we've always had that helping the poor ministry, they will do nothing without the Holy Spirit's power. That's the point of Pentecost. Jesus said in John 15, without me you can do nothing. Actually, we can do a lot of things without him. We can keep doing what we've always done before, but it's lifeless and powerless, and it's not feared. No one's looking at it with reverence, but we'll just keep doing it anyway. (coughs) Without God, in the midst of our worship and in the midst of our fellowship and on, a, on the preaching of his word and in every conversation we have, then on, on, in fact, on, without the Holy Spirit, on everything we are as the people of God, then actually we make no difference at all. How many of you have been a Christian for 50 years? Wow. 60 years. I'm not that old. <laughs> some, some people have been Christians for a long time. Have you seen the church really what it should be? Have you seen the people of God fellowshipping in one place where actually the Holy Spirit's power is so 
present, but it's tangible. Shouldn't it be like that? Not one time in our memories. I know I was involved in a church where the Holy Spirit moved in power, where we saw loads of people coming to the Lord. But I don't want to be looking back at that. I want that today. Wasn't the point last week when we were in Haggai, is they kept looking back and sort of saying, well, you know, that was, it was great back then, it's not so good now. No, we've got to have our eyes on the future. And we need to have a new Pentecost for us today. No point us looking back, celebrate the day of when it did happen. No, God, we want you to move in power amongst us today. (coughs) Without God's power, we are as dead and as worthless as the most liberal church in Great Britain. I'm talking about Weymouth Baptist Church now. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're dead. And we might be kind of, you know, like one of those creatures that writhes around when it's actually still dead. Is that how we are? Kind of, well, we've got got something going on still. No, we need new life, new power. We need the fire of God in us. Dead orthodoxy is just as pathetic as dead liberalism. And I believe that actually we need another Pentecost. It's not a joke line at an end of a hymn that some people like and some people don't. It has to be a cry of our heart that however long I've been a Christian or however whatever experience I've had in the past, we need another Pentecost. We cannot look at ourselves today and say this is the church that it should be. There is so much more that God would want from us and for us. And I believe in these chapters in the book of Acts... God reveals his pattern for his church. And as we compare to that that church then and where we are now, I think the modern church is lacking. We need the Holy Spirit. One of the distinguishing marks of God's church is unity, and I'm going to come back and talk about that in a few moments' time. I know I did a whole series on unity only last year. If we dare lay ourselves alongside the template that's here in Acts, that we might just learn from God's pattern and see what it is we need. What is it we should be like? Let's just remind ourselves a few things about Pentecost, first of all. Pentecost literally means 50th. It refers to the Jewish feast. There was 50 days after the... Passover, right? Sometimes it's referred to as the Feast of Weeks. If you go back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, other times it's referred to as the Feast of the Harvest. Pentecost, in offense, was a day where great thanksgiving was made to God because it was the end of the harvest. And they were thanking God for his goodness and his grace in giving them the harvest. And on that first day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover when Jesus died the Holy Spirit was given to the church and Acts 1-3 we find their people are praising God they're going to give God his praise for the great harvest but it became another day not a thanks for the harvest 
of the grain, but a faint beginning of a harvest of souls. The Holy Spirit was given to the church and a new harvest began. Literally, there was a fulfillment of the church becoming the workers of God in his harvest field. Well, to use another metaphor of Jesus, then actually they became fishers of men. The church would never be the same. The world would never be the same. Things were going to change forever. Amazing things took place. Some people like to zero in on this miracle of speaking in tongues. But speaking in tongues was not the primary miracle of the day. It's interesting, isn't it, if you ever do a study on tongues, and this is just a by, uh, by word for today, really, but, to, you know, tongues were never given to be a sign to the church. We go to 1 Corinthians 14, it says tongues were given as a sign to the unbeliever. Right? If you look where tongues are mentioned in the book of Acts, then it's when new people groups are being brought into the church. So in Acts 2... It's the Jews. In Acts uh, 8, it's the Samaritans. In Acts 10, it's the Gentiles. In Acts 19, it's the followers of John. Each time there's an outburst of speaking in tongues, it's because new people groups are coming in. So I don't think tongues is the miracle of Pentecost. That, you know, don't, be, don't get me wrong, I believe in speaking in tongues, and I pray that you, you would be able to. But it's not the focus of Pentecost. Focus of Pentecost is the Spirit came down and the harvest began. The church came alive. We need another Pentecost, but in our need for another Pentecost, we need to know that we cannot just duplicate the events of the original Pentecost, can we? We're not not called to go to Jerusalem and go to the upper room, right? And then to sit there and wait... Who's been to the so-called upper room in Jerusalem? Anyone? Yeah, I've been, I've been there. Quite a few people have been there. You know, I don't, God's not telling us, let's get on a ship or a plane and get to Jerusalem, sit in the upper room and wait. We're not to duplicate it like that. The Holy Spirit is already here. He's come and He's baptized every believer who put, puts their faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot duplicate the miracles of that day. So, while we can't duplicate the events of the day, I believe that there are things that we can do in bringing back the conditions that existed among the people of God on that day so that we can see God move among us in his power and in his glory today when we create an atmosphere like the one that existed in that church then I believe we can see God move in power and so as I said as I pointed out earlier the striking characteristic of the early church was they were of one accord (coughs) to me of one accord meant that we, they were of one mind. Those early disciples were united in their desire to seek the face of God. I ask you, 
Is that a passion of yours to seek the face of God? I want to know you, Lord. I want to know what is on your heart. I want to know what you want to do. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, that's what he said about him. He says, what I do, I only do because I've seen the Father do it. What I say, I only say because I've heard the Father say it. There was a connection. And we have to have the same passion. We need to know this is what God wants. We've got to be hungry for that. His early disciples were united in that. It was their calling card and it should be ours as well. And if we want God's presence these days, then God's people are going to have to walk in unity. Now, just as I said when I was preaching the series on unity, I don't believe we're a totally disunited church. We're in a good place. But there's still more. That's the point. There must be unity amongst God's people. So let's just show a few of the ways. Well, the first one's already up there. What we can duplicate from Pentecost. Being united in purpose. They waited on the Lord together. And that same trait uh, should mark the church today. One, in Philippians chapter 1, it tells us we are to strive together. It literally means we are to work as a team of athletes. Working together, being a team for the glory of God, carrying out His will and His purpose. See, each one of us has different gifts. It's what the Holy Spirit does, isn't it? Each one of us has different functions. But we're all parts of the same body. Touch the person to your left and say, we are the same body in Christ. Hmm? Touch the person to your right. Your gift matters to the church. Gosh, you're so, you're so alive today. Is it because I've criticised the church? You know. You know, we, we're nothing without each other. Every gift matters. No one should say, well, you know, Peter, he's up there every week and he knows how to talk. No, we need you. This is the only thing I can do. You ask me to do the rest of it and it will all fall apart. Ask the deacons. See, as individuals, we may have different ideas, but when we as a church come to a consensus, then we need to stand together. We need to lock arms as though we're in a scrum and march forwards. Sort of church in its purpose, going forwards in strength and in power and purpose, standing together. Don't get caught up with the antics of James and John, who kind of wanted to know who's going to be the greatest. We don't need glory hunters like that. Satan is the divider, Christ is the uniter, isn't he? So we need to be a church that is united in its purpose. We want God here. It's not just a matter of, oh, we've got a nice series going on. It's really good, isn't it? It's really clever. I like the way it all fits together. Oh, I've never seen that before. I need the Holy Spirit to make it come alive. That lives are changed and transformed. That's what matters. And so every single one of us here 
has got a gift of God. You have the Holy Spirit. Say that to someone. You have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I, church members, you have the Holy Spirit. We need another Pentecost, not though the Spirit comes and f- does that to us, but actually we're, we're open to what God is already doing inside us. Let's not put the lid down. Let's open ourselves up. We need, secondly, to be united in prayer. They prayed together. They prayed with one another. They prayed for one another. Nothing builds unity in a church more than carrying one another's burdens in prayer. As your pastor, you should be at the prayer meeting when the church comes to pray. Do you know, should I, should I dare to say this? If you can only make it once on a Sunday, when it's the Sunday we have a prayer meeting, don't come in the morning. Come and join us to pray in the evening. Now, I might get told off for that. But actually, a church needs to pray. If we're to be like that church, we have to be united in prayer. United in purpose. There is a bond that develops between people who pray together and pray for one another. When we're less focused on ourselves and we pray for others and the church and God's mission, God's kingdom, God's purposes. We may only be one little dot in the purposes of God around the world as he's building his kingdom work. But this little local church... I had a word given to me last week. I should have written it down. Thank you, Trey. <laughs> just when, when we were talking about comparisons, you said, a little church in a little town being faithful to God's word. Yes, that's what we are, I pray. But we want to be more than that, don't we? We want to see the fruit of that coming through. I praise God that they're going to have six baptisms. Great. Why not 60? You think might become crazy. But no. It's what I want to see. I want you to see that. Thirdly, we need to be united in power, just as they were. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The unity of the early church came about because they were all Right with God. Every single one of us needs to get right with God and be filled with His Spirit. It needs to come to a place where actually, I think I've said this before, Christianity could be summed into one word, submission. Where I bow and acknowledge, you are the living God. There is none like you. My life is nothing without you. I can do nothing without you. Unity produced amazing results in the church in Acts. They preached the same message, they believed the same things, they carried the same burdens, they loved the same things. 
You know, one of the problems of the modern church is that we're all at different stages of spiritual development. And, you know, it was great at the day of Pentecost, they all kind of came in together, didn't they? All in one go, right? We've got discipleship class, we've got 3,000 people going for it. We're in a modern church, we're all at different levels. Well, so diversity is a gift to us. It may be difficult, but there's no way around it. But God's will is that every single one of us, every single saint in this place, he wants us to be filled with his spirit. Filled with his spirit. You just close your eyes. Ask yourself, does my life show someone the fullness of the Spirit? Does our church show the world the fullness of the Spirit? We need another Pentecost. To be filled means to be led, to be controlled. And when the Holy Spirit leads me and he leads you, then we're going to walk in unity of his power and of his holiness and his purposes. Father God, come with your Spirit's power afresh today. Fourthly, they were united in performance. I'm going to come to a close. They were all filled and they began to speak. Each one was busy. You know, they spoke in different tongues. Everyone was hearing. But the point I want to bring out from that is everyone was doing their bit. It wasn't just Peter and John still up the front. Everyone was doing their bit. Everyone was doing their part. God doesn't save us to sit in church. He saves us to serve. His purpose is to reach the world. Just as James would say, a faith that won't work isn't real. There is no task that is unimportant or too small. You know, Jack's going to have a meeting for people about helping with the, with the street party. You know? Some people do the bigger things, the more organising. Somebody else might say, well, I, I, can, um, I can collect the rubbish. It's just as important. Someone might say, well, I, I, can't, I can't do what you guys do and stand up here and preach. But we need people to welcome people at the door, make them feel at home. We need people who are going to teach our children. We need people who are going to wash communion cups. Did I ever tell you about Martha Dukes? Did I tell you about this lovely lady in London? I knew Martha and her husband Fred. (coughs) For 50 years... She washed the communion cups every time we had 
a communion service. We were a church of 900. That's a lot of cups, isn't it? She never said anything. In fact, most of us took it for granted. It's only when she said, I need to step down, and we suddenly thought, you know what? We never thought who did that. She was vital to the life of that church. Everyone was doing their bit. Everyone is needed. And my question, you, who love the Lord Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, maybe he's just a little, you know, you know, you get that little pilot light in your gas boiler, and it's just there. Don't breathe, it might go out. <laughs> but you know when you turn it up and... And suddenly every room in the house can get heated. We, the saints of Jesus, who love Jesus our Saviour, let's get passionate about Him then. And let's ask for that fire to... Yeah, it's still there. You have the Spirit. But Lord, fill us overflow where everyone is doing their bit are you doing what he wants you to do we need another Pentecost and it will come when we walk together and work together go to the last slide please if um, Vance Havner Aunt said, snowflakes are fragile things, but when they stick together, they can stop the traffic. That's a pretty good statement, isn't it? All right? And I've got a Peanuts... Who, who likes Peanuts cartoons? You know, some people like... I know we show our age if you like Peanuts cartoons. This, this is one from some time ago. I may have quoted this one before, I don't know. But uh, Lucy demanded that Linus would t- change the TV channel threatening him with her fist if he didn't. So Linus turns around and says, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? These five fingers, he says. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to to behold. Hmm? It's a picture of the church. <laughs> Individually, we're nothing. He put us together, working in the power of the Spirit, we're a weapon terribly to behold. Linus changes the channel. He walks away, he looks at his hand and says, Why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> On this day of Pentecost, it's not a celebration of the past. It's a cry for today. We need another Pentecost. Shall we pray together? Oh, Heavenly Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would do it again. We're not trying to duplicate the things that happened on that day but the cry of our hearts and the purpose of our lives is we want to be 
in the right place, the right conditions, the right state of heart and mind, that we will be the people of God living the way you want us to. United in purpose, united in power, united in performance. We're all in this together, Lord, and we need you. United in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill your church afresh. For today and tomorrow and forevermore. Amen. Could we just stand up?